So we're here today with Sean Fisher. So first of all, we'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your role at the CII. So I'm Sean Fisher. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Chartered Insurance Institute. We're the professional body for insurance and financial planning, and we've been around uh, since the late 19th century, and we have a royal charter which creates the professional body from 1912 and we currently have a a large portrait of uh, Her Majesty the Queen on the the wall here to remind us uh, who who we're supposed to be doing all this stuff for. Today we're going to talk about the um, case for financial inclusion for all so can you tell us a little bit more about what financial inclusion actually is? Yes so if you think about life uh, we're all on a life journey until what from the day we're born until the day we die and life is quite complicated you know we've got things we're responsible for we've got houses assets cars bank accounts all sorts of things uh, we've also got people that we're responsible for so family ourselves um, children if you've got children and then quite a lot of us have got businesses and also we've got these days people travel a lot and we've got responsibility if you like to society as well and that complication brings along with it quite uh, an onus now on all of us a to understand how we can manage those risks in life but also that it creates a, a big risk for people who for whatever reason in their life in diseases they've got or in disabilities that they've got or, or problems that they have in their family life they somehow become excluded from the normal tools that the rest of us would have access to and so that's why actually financial inclusion is now a global issue for governments the g20 it is one of the major commitments that the g20 is asking all of its governments to sign up to and there's a there's an onus there on developing nations but there's an equal commitment from each of the governments to be looking at the issue of financial inclusion in their own societies as well so you'd look at somewhere like america or the uk and you'd think well you know surely we haven't got a problem with that but then you start looking a bit deeper And I'll just give you an example from some work that we're doing at the moment. One of our roles as a professional body is to horizon scan, if you like, or to look out at life and then say, where are we seeing evidence that maybe the, the products or the services which we provide in our sector might be missing something or missing some people? And we do that all the time. And we bumped into the fact that actually there's probably a a major issue with women engaging with the tools, if you like, of of, of financial and wealth management and insurance and de-risking in terms of buying insurance products. It was sort of anecdotal to start with, but um, we actually went along to a big festival, Women of the World Festival, which is on the South Bank, and spoke to sort of hundreds of ladies of different ages and different demographics, whatever there, and realised that actually a lot of women did feel that they didn't really understand how to manage their financial position, didn't really understand how to de-risk things that can happen in life through either financial planning or buying insurance products, and and even more importantly, didn't know where to go to ask um, for for advice or for, for some sort of, you know, comfort and understanding and that sort of set us on a little bit of a of a path and we did so november uh before last we came out with a sort of snapshot of if you took women's lives today in 
the, in the UK, you know, what did their financial position, their financial resilience look like? And to produce that, we had to correlate the difference between men's financial position and women's financial position because we couldn't really think how else to make it real. And that actually came out with some really stark facts, which even we were surprised by, like, you know, over 40% of women don't have a pension at all. Um, I, obviously, we have the state pension, but they don't have any kind of uh, pension provision themselves. You know, uh, if, 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 if men and women get divorced, that's not great for either men or women, but actually women end up a lot worse off uh, from that than, than men do. And all, all the sorts of career breaks that women take in terms of either having children or caring for older relatives or feeling it would be better if they work part-time, actually the aggregate effect of that across a whole lifetime is a massive difference in financial resilience between men and women. So what we've just come out with is a further piece of, re of research to say, well, okay, that is the way society is at the moment, but if you took younger women or millennials as they are now and you rolled forward their position would thing would 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 that be put right simply by education or their age or is it actually going to get worse and uh, the report we've just come out with is saying unless we as society and our financial services sector accept that there is a real issue here with women understanding and relating to the financial services, which comes back to the issue of financial inclusion. In fact, society is building up a massive issue for itself with what is, in fact, 50% of the population by gender, not a small section of society. And so what we've done in the report is we've, we've identified what we're calling six moments that matter, which is, I suppose, things which make us a difference between how women experience a life journey and maybe, you know, how uh, men experience a life journey. And then we've correlated those to things we're calling, you know, 12 um, sort of pitfalls that can be caused by those moments that matter in, in different, different lives. Um, so you'd say, well, that's all very interesting. So what? So in the interests of what the government's trying to look at with financial inclusion we created a task force from our own sector to then say well it's no good identifying these things if you don't then seek to do something about them mm. and also we f we feel because one of our major purposes if you like as a professional body is public trust in our own profession and you don't you, you don't sort of build trust by doing hygiene factor things or talking about trust you actually build trust by going to the too difficult pile as it is as it were and actually trying to make a real difference um, so thinking yeah. about the, the insurance sector historically has it been good for financial inclusion or is this something that's only really come about more recently i think uh, if you said is is the the existence of the in uh, insurance profession a good thing for society absolutely i mean that's why it came about in the first place and there's actually a rather wonderful report from the, the least likely person you'd think of winston churchill when he was actually um i think he was chancellor of the exchequer actually or something anyway he was in one of the major ministries and uh, he made this this he sort of made this speech in parliament where he said you know upon the cottage of you know upon the door of every cottage in the uk i would write the word insurance um, because life is a risky business and most people even these days will admit that their financial resilience to something happening is 
you know, a couple of weeks' money, if that. And some things that can happen, like major floods or major fires, or actually even more to the case, somebody dying unexpectedly or somebody being long-term sick or being diagnosed with, uh, you know, a terminal condition... You know, those those things can have a serious effect on on people's people's lives, and there's no way that insurance can wipe away the tears if something happens. Of course, the the emotion of what's happened is still going to be there, but if you've got some level of financial resilience to come out of it with, it is amazing how people can rebuild their lives and put their lives back together without having their entire future, you know, not just decimated by you know what's actually happened but decimated on a much longer term basis by the, by the the lack of financial ability to deal with the situation and do you think customers see us in that way i mean obviously it does uh, completely understand where you're coming from but do you think this is how they see us I think we don't help ourselves um, because a lot of the dialogue that we actually have with customers, we sort of say things like um, we pay 95% of claims or we pay as if that's kind of us doing society a favour when, you know, I think most consumers would turn around and say, well, that's what you're there for, isn't it? Um, Now, there are good and sound reasons why we have, we talk like that because obviously insurance has been on on a long journey to, try to address all the risks that there are in life and obviously when you start you can address very few of them I mean you know if you go back obviously life was pretty much the only risk that the insurance sector could really get to grips with but now you you know actually pretty much you can insure so so many things but I think that's why we need to turn the dialogue around and really and say every every customer is different everybody has a, a unique life experience we need people to feel that they they can understand what their options are in terms of ensuring their life and the risks they take. You know, some people do go s- snowboarding, some people don't. You know, some people do have exotic pets, other people don't. You know, some, some people do have seven or eight children, some people don't have any children at all. So, you know, we've got to make it clear that there is an option for everybody um, and that we can help everyone. And that actually, because we're... The other thing with insurance that why people have to... This has to matter. People have to trust us. Is if you go into a you know Starbucks, you you know you buy your coffee, you consume your coffee, you know you get the whole experience in a ten minute window. You know when you go and buy an insurance product or a financial services product, it's basically a promise that something will happen at a point in time. So you've absolutely got to believe that those people are really going to deliver that at the t- at the time and if there's any doubt around that then that's you know that is not that is you know detrimental for for people so thinking ahead to the future what work has the CIA got planned to you know progress this issue of financial inclusion for all yeah so um, one of our biggest programs if you like is what we call insuring futures and okay i've raised you know obviously we've done a big piece of work around women because obviously women are 50 percent of the population but we have got uh, we've done uh, work on other areas so we 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 are doing at the moment a, a big project with the armed forces because a lot of um obviously people have been injured in the various conflicts that have come and you know often they're given a you know quite a large compensation settlement and you can appreciate that it's quite easy for either their them or their families to make bad decisions about that money you know or frankly there are people around who will very 
very unhelpfully try and take it off them. Um, so we have something called forces money plan, which is, I mean, I'm just picking another example of somewhere where we knew, we can see that there's a, an issue um, and therefore we're trying to use our expertise through the Citizens Advice uh, Bureau to you know, bring our expertise to bear to, to make sure that that doesn't happen for people. Um, another example, mental health. Um, there are quite a lot of issues with insurance products and the way that they either create exclusions or they create an exclu a feeling of exclusion mm -hmm. because of the language that's used and the questions that are asked around the issue of mental health. And yet, as we all know, I, I, I think it's now, you know, quite a significant percentage of us will have mental health issues at some point during our life and at the moment that is creating exclusion as opposed to people appreciating that that's a very vulnerable time in people's lives when actually they need inclusion so for anyone that's listening to this conversation and would like to find out more about financial inclusion, where's a good place to start? Are there other resources with the CII or should they look wider? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we have our, our own website that has lots of information about all sorts of, of areas of insurance. We also have a we have a, um, a, a longer term project, which we call Made Simple, which is around de debunking the jargon. Uh, in insurance so you can I mean you, ju you can just look look up words and things or if you see something in a policy and you don't understand it you know just search on it and and there's the, the uh, there's often really good information that you can get that will explain it to you and also frankly as consumers please just keep raising the issue if you don't understand things there's very good obviously there's very good consumer press these days around particularly popular products like travel, because um, travel obviously is something which, funnily enough, for a very simple product, actually, there's a lot of misunderstanding around what's covered, what's not covered, you know, what, whether you need it, don't need it, if you travel in Europe, stuff like that. So, but the consumer press actually have done a really good job, particularly, you know, there's a very good um, series of articles in the, in the Mail on Sunday about, you know, yes, you do need travel insurance and this is why. And also people have, don't really understand the issue of pre-existing conditions. And, you know, obviously we, we have to try and help people to understand why that matters. I've got actually one last question. What do you think the sector can do to make a difference in this area? For some reason, the whole issue of kind of the concept of public education about financial services has sort of dropped, seems to have dropped off both the education agenda and the public information agenda. I mean, the government have recognised that that's a bit of an issue in the sense that they, when they uh, introduced pensions freedoms, I think it became rapidly obvious to them that that actually the biggest thing that most people didn't understand was their pension at all, <laughs> never mind what sort of options they had. Because I think there was just a, a silly anecdotal thing that the word most looked up on Google, I think, about two weeks after Pensions Freedom was the word annuity, because most people didn't even know what, although everybody had had one, <laughs> most people didn't even know what that meant. And I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, frankly, I've worked in the in financial services all my working life, but there's still, you know, aspects of it which are actually genuinely quite quite complicated and quite difficult to understand. So the the, the government have also created a, an entity called the Money Advice Service. Um, having created it, you know, the, there's now issues about how it works or what is it working? Do people understand it? So there's 
in fact a bill going through Parliament at the moment which will consolidate a number of entities supposedly involved in public education and advice into one. And I think that will probably help that, you know, what it, whichever body it is, then people will know that they can go there. We will do more than we're doing at the moment. What we've done to try and help as well is financial services is quite fragmented from a regulatory perspective, which means that people tend to only be able to talk about their quite specific bit of it, which confuses consumers in, entirely. We've actually got together with two of our other chartered bodies, the, the Chartered Banker Institute and the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investments, to create something called the Chartered Bodies Alliance. And we are actually going to try between us, to because there's a lot of commonality of the things that confuse people. But sometimes we can only talk about those things individually. Uh, we think there's more we could do as well to talk about generic issues in relation to financial services where you know we can each give out the same information as opposed to giving out slightly different information which could be confusing sean thank you very much for joining us today on cii radio thank you we hope you enjoyed listening and let us know what you think on twitter at cii group or email me at michelle.warville at cii.co.uk until next time thank you for listening